This is a Federal News Network podcast. With the government on an endless skirmish with nations around the globe, the captains of industry are a little bit anxious. Now one group has issued five recommendations for improving policymaking, trade, and national security. Joining me with the whys and wherefores, the CEO of the Information Technology Industry Council, Jason Oxman. Jason, good to have you back. Tom, thanks. Good to be with you. Now, these ideas seem a little boilerplate. Are we really talking about Huawei and China and ZTE here and some of the rules we're expecting from the DOD if they ever get them out? Or what's the basis for what you're suggesting? Well, certainly that's part of the discussion. But our idea here is to kind of broaden out the discussion and make it about principles to address legitimate national security concerns. So we've seen the U.S. government very focused on addressing technology imported into the U.S. from other countries and specifically talking about some companies. You mentioned Huawei, ZTE uh, as a focus there. And, you know, the security interests of the U.S. government are paramount. And indeed, the role of government is to ensure the national security of its citizens. So we don't have any quarrel with the Trump administration taking on the issue of national national security. What we're concerned about is we want to make sure the analysis is risk-based and specific to those companies and doesn't broaden out to a point where we are banning trade, we are banning import of components from other countries. That's the concern we have here. That's why we think we need a principle-based approach to national security issues. Because specifically with the supply chain issue, uh, that is, I guess, the deadline for implementation of an NDAA provision is going to come and go without any actual rulemaking from DOD with respect to those Chinese companies in the supply chain of any of the Defense Department's contractors. I think the absurd example of the extreme that could happen going around right now is if the company has Chinese-made cameras in its parking lot surveillance that could rule it out of DOD contracts. Is that the kind of thing you mean by risk-based decisions? That's right. We need to make this a fact-specific risk-based analysis. So a good example is the government does an analysis of Huawei and determines whether it's appropriate for the government to buy equipment from Huawei. That's a fact-specific risk-based analysis that incorporates national security interests that, frankly, industry is not qualified to address. That's the role of government to make those determinations. But as you noted, where that gets broader and where we're concerned is where we conflate together those specific national security interests applicable to perhaps one company, and we broaden that out, and we conflate it together with economic interests, with trade interests, with policy interests, even with political interests, and we start talking about how we have to have these wide-sweeping bans of importation or use of products from entire countries, entire regions, or even, worst-case scenario, anything international. That's what we don't want to see, and that's why we've proposed these principles to bring the analysis back down to earth, if you will, and make sure it's that risk-based analysis. And two of the principles seem related. The one is that effective national security requires technological leadership. It's hard to disagree with that one. And that technological leadership in turn depends on economic openness. And there you're talking not so much with, say, Russia or, I don't know, or China again, but openness with countries that tend to share the same interests as the United States. And so what what is new there? What would you do differently than is going on now with respect to cooperation on technological leadership with friendly nations? 
Well, that's right. And that's a concern of ours. As you noted, it is paramount importance that the U.S. government protect uh, U.S. national security interests. You mentioned Russia. Uh, you mentioned some concerns with the way the Chinese government has done business. Uh, we're making good progress there. Iran is another good example of a country, a, a risk that the U.S. government has determined. But what we're confused about, frankly, is the decision to deprioritize positive trade relations with the EU, for example, our relations with the European Union, a strong ally, uh, both as a, as a bloc and individual nations. Uh, we've moved away from trade agreements and toward trade disputes. We've seen it with the UK, although we're starting to negotiate agreements there. We're not there yet. We've seen it with other allies around the world. So as you noted, it's really important that we focus those national security questions on legitimate national security risks and don't adopt this blanket worldwide approach where we are de-emphasizing the global supply chain where we're de-emphasizing the importance of trade. You know, for U.S. companies, 95% of consumers on planet Earth live outside of the United States. It's incredibly important that we address those markets. And, of course, we have a global supply chain where companies from outside of the U.S. manufacture here in the U.S., U.S. companies manufacture outside the U.S. That global supply chain works very well, and we want to see it continue to. Interestingly, I was looking at Baldwin pianos, and they're now made in China. They used to be made in Arkansas. Not a high-tech product, but still one of high value. We're speaking with Jason Oxman. He's CEO of the Information Technology Industry Council. And one of the principles that national security measures should focus on identified national security risks. Where do you think those ideas are at variance at this point? Where could they be brought closer together? Well, I think the focus on national security risks has worked uh, in the past. Issues raised related to Russia, to Venezuela, to Iran, uh, even to China in some circumstances have been addressed as national security threats and have been addressed by public policy addressing those risks specifically. But what we've seen happen and where it hasn't worked out well is national security risk-based policies can call out certain countries but the overarching policy has to be country agnostic. You know, the specific enforcement actions are fine if they're fact-based, if we can work together with industry and government partnering to mitigate those risks. The problem that we have is the unintended consequences of those policies boiling over, if you will, from those risks into political issues, into trying to advance trade interests, into trying to advance economic policy by handicapping particular countries uh, or particular regions. That's, that's where we think it breaks down. And the idea of technological cooperation and economic cooperation with like-minded economies, I mean, in some ways, it seems like there should be more technological innovation coming from countries that it doesn't seem to come out of that much these days. I'm thinking of, you know, what happened to Japan in, in industrial leadership? They, they were such pioneers in the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s. And Australia, you know, decent-sized country and some pretty good engineering and science going on down there. What's the thinking on that one? Certainly it shifts over time. As you noted, if we look at the television manufacturing industry, for example, it, once upon a time it was in the U.S. and then it was in Japan and then it was in South Korea and then China. Things like that do move and countries specialize in various manufacturing expertise. Uh, the automotive industry, obviously important to Japan and, and that's spread worldwide as well. That's a great example of our argument as to why the U.S. should work in concert with like-minded economies, you know, given the cross-border flow of goods and services and data 
understand the constant change in innovation, constant change in manufacturing. You know, obviously, we've seen a lot of manufacturing historically happen in China, but it's also happening in India. It's happening in Indonesia. It's happening in Vietnam. So we want to make sure that our policies are mindful of the need not to write off entire countries or write off entire regions as part of that global flow uh, of goods and services and data and manufacturing. Some things are made in the U.S., some things are made outside the U.S., and that's good. That's a, uh, an important way that the global economy works. And who are all of these principles aimed at? To whom are you promulgating these ideas, and what do you expect to happen as a result? Our target audience for this effort is U.S. policymakers. We want to make sure that as they protect national security's interests of citizens, which again is the most important responsibility of government, we want to make sure that the U.S. government works with industry. We've seen some executive orders come out of the administration that have come out as final rules as opposed to soliciting input from industry and, and working with industry to harness U.S. technological leadership. We're concerned about economic openness worldwide. Uh, again, good move with the early stages of trade negotiations with China, but more to be done. We need a trade agreement with the EU. We need an agreement with the UK. We want to make sure that national security principles and supply chain rules that come out of the administration don't handicap the ability of the U.S. government and the U.S. economy to grow through important trade agreements. And I guess without rendering judgment good or bad and relative to other administrations, Would it be fair to say that perhaps the policymaking of the current administration is maybe somewhat less consistent than we might have expected from earlier administrations? Well, I think all administrations have pluses and minuses in their trade policies and economic policies. I think the Trump administration has spoken very clearly about the interest in and the need for robust trade agreements that are beneficial to the U.S. and beneficial internationally. Prior administrations have negotiated trade agreements that have worked well. I think the hallmark trade success of the current administration is the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, signed into law in January and in the process of being implemented. That's a huge positive development for trade, so I think the Trump administration deserves a lot of credit for that. So our argument is not that this administration is better or worse than any other on trade. In fact, you can make the argument this administration has done more on trade than many prior administrations. Our argument is simply that we want to make sure that on these national security issues, that we don't conflate them together with with trade and economic policy issues so that we in any way constrain our ability to continue to move forward on positive trade agreements. Jason Oxman is CEO of the Information Technology Industry Council. Thanks so much for joining me. Tom, thanks. It was a pleasure. We'll post this interview along with a link to The Five Principles at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to The Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.